Hello, my name is Elvis, and I'm working on a documentary about my father's kidnapping called We Are Lions. Algo que hace tu papá es que se me hace muy peligroso es que anda de noche espiando a esta gente. I have a story to tell. All of this still feels like a dream. The kidnapping, the trial, the death threats, the hurricane. Unprecedented tropical rains and catastrophic flooding. I almost die in the process. And my dad almost dies twice. There's a social justice element to this. There is uh, an injustice that was done, right? That needs to be corrected, needs to be addressed. And I hope that this film can actually put a spotlight on these serious subjects that are happening in our communities that are really being overlooked. De que mi mamá muriera, yo siempre pensaba en mi mamá y cuando muere también va. Y después de que me secuestraron, ellos agarraron el primer lugar en mi vida, el pensamiento, porque despierto pensando en ese maldito. True crime is one of the hottest genres right now, and we're never hearing from the victim side of things. It's rare. Like, it's all about the glorification of these serial killers that became famous. And I just want to tell the story of a common man from our community that went through this horrific experience that happens to be my father. So this is also a story of just a father and son uh, going on this wild journey uh, together. And that's something that a lot of people can connect with. So I think I got a lot of great pieces and I can't wait for you to see some of it. I've been working on this project for over seven years and I have hundreds of hours of footage. I probably have at least two films in the can right now. Production is wrapped and now I'm seeking funds to hire an editor, a story editor, so we can take this thing to the next level. There's for sure a diamond in the rough here. And if you agree, if you connect with the material, Please reach out. Please think about supporting this uh, financially. And if you can't, then share it. Or if you have anyone that you think would be interested in working on this, send them our way. And any help that I can get with completing the project or seeking justice and putting some people behind bars, like, please, like, I need you. So thank you so much for listening. And I hope to connect with you soon. Thank you for listening. listening to Concrete Pastures Podcast. I am Nancy Mlemoisisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a space that allows for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We unlock the joys, the laughs, and the bravery that being a dreamer brings. So subscribe and stay a while as we dive into today's episode. Happy Father's Day to all you amazing fathers out there. Thank you for showing up. I want to wish a happy Father's Day to Mr. Leon. Thank you for your bravery, for your boldness, and thank you for your courage to overcome adversity. Our guest today, he's a filmmaker. He's a veteran 
is not a stranger to a life of an immigrant. He's traveled all over the world. He's a son of an immigrant. His name is Elvis Leon. He's here today to share a little bit of his and his family's journey on his father's kidnapping. This story also continues tomorrow with Nosa Iyari on Culture Class Podcast. Hi, Elvis. How are you? Welcome. Hello from Los Angeles. Uh, hopefully, uh, you're not up too late in New York, so uh, we'll get you out of here quick. <laughs> Thanks. Oh for yeah, having- I hope. I hope. I hope. But I'm so grateful that you're, um, you know, you're staying with me. You're staying up with me. It's six over there. It's hmm, almost nine o'clock. Uh, we jumped on early. For starters, I just want to start with your article. That was sent to me by Nosari Iyari that has been on the podcast, and uh, I'm so grateful. We're going to get into it later in the story, but he sent it to me when I was leaving to go home to Africa. Oh, wow. And what I did was a few days after, before that, so when I got on the plane, that's when I was reading it. I felt like I was in a movie, to be honest with you. Wow. But before we get into that... Me too. Uh, I felt like I was in the movie too. When I yeah, was no. Was well, uh, for sure. Like it, I watch, I've watched a lot of Lifetime. I don't watch it anymore like that. But with Lifetime movies, it felt like that, reading your article. And uh, this article, what I'm talking about is, um, it's a magazine, online magazine, 5280 magazine. Um, but for starters, I just want... For our guests to get to know you, I've introduced you as a filmmaker, a veteran. Thank you so much for your service. Um, But how did you get to go to Iraq? I've seen some of your your story that you've shared on some platforms. And I wanted just to get into that. Or maybe you can introduce us how you were here in the U.S. You were born here in the U.S. and in Los Angeles, where you are, right? Uh, that's right, yeah. So, well, yeah, my name is Elvis, and I was born here in Los Angeles. And uh, my parents uh, immigrated here in the 80s. Uh, my mother from Mexico and my father from Guatemala. And they fell in love here in Los Angeles. And I'm the product, the firstborn. <laughs> so, uh, you know, first, second generation American family. Um, English as a second language for myself. Uh, I, I still uh, I'm in a Spanish-speaking only home, um, so yeah, the culture is still. Uh, we have a strong connection. Uh, we have a strong connection to the culture, so uh, uh, still, you know, so that's great. Um, but um, yeah, we want to know how I got involved in the military. Is that what you? Yes. Think? How did you get into the military, and what was your experience there? Because I watched um, your six-minute video. Thank you. Oh my God. I, I lived I, a movie. I've lived a few movies. I, I was moved, mm-hmm. and I wanted more. To be honest with you, I I've haven't experienced a veteran that's so raw like mm. that, and telling their story. I think most of you guys, uh, or your brothers and sisters, yeah. they keep everything that happens to themselves. You know, it, I think it's it's such a difficult thing to explain. And I think most veterans just feel like no one's gonna be able to relate with them except other people who have experienced this. 
And sometimes we automatically dismiss people that haven't seen these extreme conditions uh, mm-hmm. because it is so horrific at times and very traumatic. And when you come home, you're expected to live a normal life after you've seen the most extreme version and situations that a human can can witness, you know. Um, and you know, th- there was beautiful moments too of, of camaraderie and meeting, uh, you know, the local population, the the Iraqi people. That that you know, there's a lot of people that were innocent that got caught in this war, you know. So uh, you see a lot of terrible things, you know. Um, so I think when you come home. It's just a very confusing period that lasts months or years. Some people never really quite uh, transition fully, you know. And uh, I gotta say this because uh, I said it in a last podcast with uh, with uh, Nusa about uh, my friend who committed suicide six months ago um, because he, yeah, uh, another victim of PTSD, you know, and. Uh, this is an example of a person who, you know, for the last almost 15 years was struggling with reintegrating back to society. And he took it one step further, though, when the conflict broke out in, in uh, Ukraine. Um, Ukrainian army was uh, undermanned and they were looking for foreign fighters. And my friend went. He went to, to Ukraine and uh, fought there. And while everybody was you know, changing their profile photo to the Ukrainian flag, he actually did something and he went there, you know? Um, Long story short, it wasn't what he thought and maybe he was chasing something uh, that, you know, we all feel like we left a piece of our soul, you know, in in Iraq or wherever you serve on the battlefield. And maybe he was trying to collect that. Maybe he was trying to relive something that maybe wasn't real um, because we like to romanticize that time and uh he came home he came home uh like maybe three months after he left and just he had eviction notices in his apartment uh there was trouble at home with family and stuff and uh just a very terrible time and then he took his life you know and this is a guy that you know survived a a couple war zones and and then just feeling like he was betrayed you know by his governments and lie to and I think that's kind of what hurts the most is that sense of disillusionment disillusionment and, and betrayal. Oh for me looking in and uh, I used to work for a credit union and with the credit union and a lot of banks that I've worked for, we have a certain section where we take care of our veterans in terms of loans and everything else. And we've for me I I'm, I was under the impression that everywhere else caters to you guys when you come home and you're treated to a certain level of respect. I didn't know until I watched some of your uh, a lot of your documentaries explaining on how you guys are treated. It's it's disappointing, for lack of a better word. It's really disappointing to just see that. It is. And, you know, I don't want to say it's completely bad because, you know, I, we get free health care. Uh, so there's some positive about going. And uh, as you know, living in America, no one gets free health care in, in this country except yep. military veterans. So that's a part of uh, the perk. Um, and but 
there's a lot more that can be done, you know, um, in preparing people to come back home properly. Because yeah. uh, after you see something traumatic, you just are expected to be a normal person. And that's just not a, a reality, you know? So, um, yeah. My last question on this, what do you think can be done in preparation for you guys to come home? Um, I'm not certain what, they're, what the military is doing now to help people transition out. But when, when I was in, it was like a three-day course of how to be a civilian again after you just spent, you know, five years in the military. And some people spent half that time in war um, because during this period, you were going every other year. And in the Army, the deployments are a minimum of 12 months. So you're out there an entire year. It's terrible. <laughs> every day is Monday, no days off. 12-hour days, you can get called in in the middle of the night, someone's dead, someone needs blood, something happened, you know, so it's just uh, a very 24-7 uh, orientated kind of lifestyle, you know, and the most extreme, in the most extreme place. Wow. No, thank you for sharing that. Um, so I'm going to jump ahead. We are, we're going to get into your father's article. And again, like I mentioned in the beginning, this is an article that is found in the online magazine. It's big in Colorado, 5280. I'm so grateful that they were able to share that story and you guys sharing your story with all of us. Uh, the title is The Trucker's Kidnapping. And that's on your father, uh, Orlando. So yes. could you share with us when did that happen and to your best of your ability, please? Um, yeah, it's it's crazy to say that this happened almost 10 years ago, but um, what happened after lasted several years, uh, which we never anticipated. So in 2014, my father was kidnapped and uh, by, by men who organized this from Denver, Colorado. Um, so my dad was taken in Guatemala and we paid a ransom to men who lived 30 miles away from our home in Denver. And this is when when things just took a turn for the worse, um, especially after there was uh, an arrest that happened in Guatemala. And then that um, it, uh, started a, an investigation both in Denver and in Guatemala that lasted years. Um, and then uh, in 2018, there was a trial, and then there was recent arrests as of 2020 and 2021. And now we're waiting for a pending trial, uh, a new one. Um, so it's been something that uh, just took over our life, you know, uh, my personally, my life and my father's, um, uh, because I think we both felt so uh, betrayed by the, the systems that, you know, were, it, were better put in place to help us but they completely dismissed us. They didn't believe us. They thought we were involved in some narco trafficking, uh, you know, criminal gang. Um, so it's like they labeled us everything under the sun except innocent and except, uh, you know, coming to our aid. And this was something that, that was just unbelievable to, to experience in, in America, you know? Like everyone expects that this is the place where there's justice for all and you know, the more and more uh, shows we see on TV or uh, stories like my family's, like it's very common, you know, that 
that this place is degrading, you know, and I think that uh, we're living in a difficult time right now where uh, just uh, public safety is, is uh, I don't know, declining. I don't know how you feel about that. There were so many questions that were coming to my head mm-hmm. when uh, I was reading. One of it was if this was a white person that had reported this, 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 if this was a white person that reported this, do you think would be the same reaction or delay to everything that had transpired? You know what? Like, obviously, that crossed my mind many times. Like, if my yeah. father was a politician or senator or just a regular white person, would I have gotten justice? And I think so, you know, because uh, there was a story, too, recently where a, a white girl went missing and everybody, you know, just marched the streets and looked for this lady and she was missing. And uh, But at the same time, there's, you know, black and brown kids that go missing all the time and you don't hear anything about it. So um, I, I, I wanted to say that that wasn't the case, that there was like, you know, stereotypes and prejudice and, you know, some racism. But I feel like that's exactly what we experience and, and, uh, and it's very unfortunate. Yeah, because it took too long for everybody to react and you had to take matters into your own hands Mm -hmm. for anybody to react. So you guys even going to the extent of paying a ransom Mm -hmm. of $7,000. That was just mind blowing. And to find only to find out through asking for help to, from um, the teller at the bank at Wells Fargo, that's the one that actually even made you guys know that this was in Colorado where you were paying. You were paying someone who actually lives in Colorado. And that was actually half the ransom. Uh, we paid uh, about $15,000 um, in total. Uh, that was just half the, half of it came from Denver. Half of it came from Denver and then later on you guys paid more? Uh, in Guatemala, the other half was paid. Wow. Yeah, and uh, but then of course you know unseen medical costs and damages and psychological. So I think by the end of it, you know that that price has ballooned. You know, double that. So unfortunately, with legal costs and everything, it's been expensive. So could you explain to us uh, why your father was going to Guatemala? Yeah, so my my father belongs to a subculture of uh, Central American businessmen called the Transmigrantes, mm-hmm. and that's just the name of the visa that Mexico gives these uh, truck drivers that they can travel across Mexico into Central America, and their primary source of like uh, uh, deliveries are used vehicles, new vehicles, um, and any kind of goods that people may order from their respective countries. So these uh, men are mostly men. I've seen women on this on this uh, uh, path, but um, they, they are able to come into the United States with a visa uh, for a limited time to purchase just goods. Um, so, and in Guatemala, for whatever reason, Toyota is king. So like 90% of all the vehicles that go down there 
our Toyota trucks. And on the last trip that I went on, there was 1,200 Toyotas waiting to cross the border into uh, Mexico and Texas. And this is up, and these 1,200, it probably is every other, every couple of days. So by the, but every month there might be 20,000 Toyotas that, that go through these borders. So it's a, a big business, it's legal. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, there's, uh, you know, custom and immigration checkpoints uh, in Texas that they have to go through, in Mexico, and then at, at every border that they uh, continue past. So how did they capture him? He gets to Guatemala. Uh, Guatemala. How did they capture him? Because this was something that he was doing all the time? Yeah, so my dad's been doing that for 20 years, you know? So as long as I know, uh, it's it's been like the family business, you know? Um, right. And I, I've been on this journey with him a few times, and it's uh, like a seven-day road trip. It's it's pretty long. It's, it's uh, grueling. You go through uh, cartel checkpoints in Mexico. There's mm. bandits. There's pirates. There's it's it's a, an adventure, you know. To be honest, wow. um, but um, everyone sticks together, and you go in convoys, and uh, you know there's safety in numbers. And um, so on this particular trip, my father went, uh, and a routine trip. Uh, he had worked with this client several times already. And there happened to be a car accident in Mexico with the client's vehicle. And the client ended up getting really upset uh, at the situation and the accident. And he wanted that vehicle rescued. Uh, he got very aggressive during this period. And my father wasn't even uh, driving the vehicle. He wasn't even present. He wasn't at home. He had suggested a different driver because my father was busy and he couldn't do it. But he facilitated someone else to do it. So long story short, a month later, my father gets the vehicle out of this Mexican impound lot, turns it into the brother of the men that live in Denver. Mm -hmm. And then the brother said, thank you. See you in Denver. They shook hands. Friendly. My father goes home. He goes to sleep. The next morning, these men show back up for breakfast, uh, asking if my father wanted a, a coffee. And they're like, let's go get a coffee. And my father thought it was weird because they came unannounced. And they took a few steps from his front door. They pulled a gun and they hit him in the mouth, breaking his teeth. And he was knocked down, knocked uh, unconscious. And then later my father woke up and they had him in a cemetery with an unmarked grave dug out, uh, ready to, to, you know, disappear him. So, and that's when we started receiving the uh, the ransom calls about, you know, pay us this money or you, you'll never find your father. Wow. So. Um, on, in the article, I read that, um, I don't know how you guys got in communication with the Guatemala police mm -hmm. and they called your mom, the kidnappers called your mom, telling her not to reach out to the police. Yeah, um, you know, that's, um, I guess, a testament of some of, of how corruption has uh, seeped into some of these police stations that uh, some of them are a part of all of this. You know, they're in connection with these cartels and gangs. So we, we were told not to call the police, but 
you know, we felt like that was the only option. And as you say, you know, five minutes later, they call us and we know exactly, we know that you called the police, do it again and we'll kill him, you know? And uh, so then that just uh, eroded, you know, more trust in like, who do you, who can you trust, you know, in these situations, if you can't call the police, then who do you call, you know? And, uh, you know, and during this period, we're calling the police in Denver as well. I'm calling the FBI, I'm calling the local police. No one cared. No one even bothered to take a report. No one, no one gave us advice. It was just like, good luck and, you know, keep us posted. And it was just like, unbelievable, you know? And uh, so that's, you know, that's why I'm really happy that the story came out because I really want to continue to share this like injustice that happened because it's just, you know, this case is done and closed, you know? I don't think we'll ever get justice for this particular case. And, and these men in Colorado will continue to be free, you know, and living in our community. That's just the reality of the world we live in right now. But I hope that, you know, people that listen to this will at least uh, be more conscious of how they uh, protect themselves. And and uh, and then and just thinking about security and how we're going to protect our communities because a, a lot of these institutions are not doing it. Now. Wow. During that time, you being a veteran, did you even reach out to like your community and seek help? I did. I did. But uh, I think the only answers that I was getting were, you know, uh, how should I say, just offers of going and taking care of it ourselves. I see. You know, and that was always on the table, but, and later when the arrest did happen and the police, okay, the police took us somewhat serious, they still had me and my father, they're like, we need you guys to get more evidence and we need you guys to get recordings, get photos of them, find, and like they basically told us to do their job for them. And yeah, that's what I'm thinking was, right now. I'm like, okay, what happened to doing your job? Okay, you... It was so unbelievable, but at the time, I think that we were just caught up in this whole, we'll do anything, yeah. that we did it. And now yeah. looking back at it, like if we would have got killed in this process of like digging around, and we did find their homes. We did find their Facebook profile photos. We did, you know, like we had the bank account number and we had names so we became like our own father and son private investigation team and we ended up like finding all this information but thinking back if we would have been shot and killed doing something that the fbi or the homeland security told us to do uh the department of uh drug enforcement agency dea too they they they're specifically them actually we could have got killed and it would have just been another, you know, brown people dead and no one would have cared, you know? So it's just, uh, yeah, it's embarrassing. Wow. Um, wow. How is your father doing? My father's okay. You know, he's better in better spirits now. Um, you know, for a long time, he was very angry and, uh, and just motivated by, by, getting justice the legal way, but he was also, you know, thinking about, you know, doing, getting street justice, I guess, retribution. And that's, that's when things got scary in our family because we didn't know what was going to happen. But, um, 
he's just happy. I, I talked to him before I, I got on this call and yeah. just to ask him if, if, if he wanted me to, you know, share a message. But he's just happy that people are reading the story and, and connecting with the material finally because this was like a family secret, I guess, for so long. And it was so personal that we couldn't really say too much about it. But now it's been a few years. Um, we feel a little bit more comfortable, but, uh, you know, things are, are still within. Things will always be uh, somewhat dangerous for our family, I guess, because these men are, are free and they're shopping in the same grocery stores that we go to. And they have they, they know mutual friends of my father. So they're just like this uh, ominous figure that's going to be living you know, in our world for, for, for forever, I think, you know, I don't know. Being an immigrant can be hard. Having been away from my home country for over 20 years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand. Throughout my journey, I've had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers, getting married, having children, establishing my career, and finding time for myself. Even though I've always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash pastures for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help in as little as 48 hours. I'm curious to know what is your perspective after... Uh, this whole ordeal has gone through like on life and just humans in the whole like the uh, uh, government humans what is your perspective? I mean I, to, to be honest yeah I, I'm still climbing out of that hole because I lost faith I lost faith in, in my religion and people and government and and everybody you know, um, and, and it made me feel like I didn't belong uh, in this society because, uh, you know, it's just something that you lost friends in the process of serving the country. And, you know, I lost a piece of my soul and I lost, you know, my best friend last year um, in this pursuit. And it was for nothing, you know, and, and, them ignoring this case and my family was personal and it was just like another form of betrayal. So um, I'm going to a lot of therapy to be fully transparent, you know, uh, now. Uh, I feel like I'm still processing a lot of this. Um, uh, it's just been, um, it's just been a lot, you know, it's been very overwhelming. And, but I, I still have hope, I guess. Uh, throughout all of this, throughout like all the pain and uh, suffering. But uh, I think that um, that I'm glad to at least be alive to share the story and still have my father. And I think that's the mo most important thing. Wow. 
Uh, you know, a lot of the times we go through the hard times and it shakes us to the core and you've definitely gone through a fair share of hard times. And it's just amazing that you still have hope, which a lot of people would have lost that completely and having gone through what you've gone through. So um, continue the journey of healing. Um, a lot of the times when we go through uh, traumatic events, um, we love the idea of peace. Yeah. We are in love of, with the idea of peace and finding that is hard. It takes a lot of work to get there. You're you doing the work. I'm going to have to holler at your sponsors, Better Health, whatever. Yeah, you need to hook me up with them. because Yes, Better Health is here. Yeah, Better Health, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, Better Health is here. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm big on mental health, and uh, we've, I've, like everybody else, we've all had our share of hard times, especially given what has happened with, um, you know, COVID and just life itself knocking us down all the time um yes. but it's how we get up that you know tells the true testament of who we are really definitely and and you see how the streets of i mean i i, I see videos of new york but i'm sure you see videos of la and yes. you see like the since covid all the homeless people that are everywhere uh, just the housing crisis you know people addicted to all these opioids and yes. yeah i think just it's a, a tough time in the, the economy you know is not doing so well so it's just yeah it's a struggle for a lot yeah, of people it's, it's definitely hard everywhere um i want to get into your documentary mm. you've since um done a documentary of are uh, you traveling and documenting uh, starting with guatemala i'm curious was that part of you finding healing starting with Guatemala because I don't know if I would find I would, I would have enough uh, I guess the nerve to go to where my father was being held uh, you know? the country and actually visit the place where he was uh, was that a way of you finding healing or just facing your fears oh. what was both oh, definitely and uh, it's funny you say that I'm, I'm glad you caught that because you know i, I could have went anywhere in the world but my gut said go to guatemala and this was the most dangerous place for my family this is a, a place that that almost took my father away mm -hmm. my, my country of origin mm -hmm. you know and it was just like for whatever reason, I had to go there. I was scared out of my mind when I landed in, on the plane. And I went alone. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my father. I, I went because I didn't want anyone to know. And uh, at the time, you know, my spirits were really low. And and uh, you could even say I had a death wish, you know. And, and I went back to Guatemala thinking that maybe something would happen to me. Uh, like, you know, um, and it would take the pain away, whatever that means. But... I found love, I found beauty, I found uh, just compassion of, of uh, Guatemalans, Guatemalan people, um, the indigenous uh, people that, the Mayans, you know, everyone thinks the Mayans uh, mm. disappeared uh, years ago, but they still live in Guatemala, you know, and 
I just got shown so much love and unconditional love by strangers that um, it really made me change how I perceived Guatemala and, and it made me begin to forgive Guatemala uh, for, for what it did. So, um, and then uh, six months later, I go back with my father uh, and we go together uh, to try to get closure and we go back to the scene of the crime and uh, we, we relive you know, this situation together. And this is what the documentary is about. I don't want to say too much, but yes. it's a story of, you know, of a father and son just trying to get closure, you know, after years of, you know, spying on cartel people and uh, police investigations and, you know, just being in and out of court. So it's, um, yeah, this is a story. It's a unique situation, right? How many people can say that they went on this you know, 2,500 mile road trip with their father. And and not only that, plus all the dangerous stuff that, that we got into, you know, and, and maybe your viewers will see that in the, the trailer that, that I'll send yes, you. Yes, I'll, I'll definitely be posting um, part of the trailer um, on this video for sure. But uh, but yeah, no, you know, we're, we're looking for, you know, finishing funds to uh, edit the film because I have 500 hours and uh, if anyone knows about documentary filmmaking, it takes a long time and you need to hire one or other editors to help you go through that footage and, and then maybe there'll be some reshoots and reenactments or animation, you know, to uh, help tell the story. Um, but uh, I, have a, I have a great, you know, um, film on my hands. I'm confident of that. I just need, you know, some support to help fin finish telling that story. Yes, uh, for sure. I've I've seen the trailer. It's um, oof, it's touching and uh, it's captivating. I love how you're telling the story, and there's gonna be a lot of lessons from, um, especially our immigrant community. They'll appreciate it. Um, I love the father son story as well. That you guys um, are together in this journey. What was that like being with your dad? Um, it was it was great because I felt like we hadn't uh, spent a well because I left when I went to the army I was gone for like five plus years and I was stationed in Germany so I didn't see my dad like throughout almost that entire period so mm. I think we uh, not fell apart but you know uh, after so many years you kind of lose that common common ground so. Uh, when all of this happened and uh, we decided to do the documentary, uh, you know, me and my dad were just going on several road trips and I'm just uh, recording him and he's telling me stories about his childhood or him immigrating and dodging Border Patrol uh, in Mexico and, and sneaking into California illegally numerous times. He, he has a residency now, so he can tell he can say this, <laughs> but he has such crazy stories, you know, um, and I think maybe that's what we have in common is that uh, maybe I tried to beat and outdo his storytelling. So I went to have my own adventures. And now yeah. everyone, my family is like, we thought your dad was the craziest, but now we think you beat him, you know? And they're like, that's because you have a passport. Because if your dad, because your dad doesn't, my dad doesn't have a U.S. passport, so he can't travel as freely as, as I can. But my family's like, you only beat him because you have an American passport. And I was just like, probably. 
<laughs> what have you learned about yourself through that journey? Um, that I'm a lot like my father, uh, more than I than I thought. You know, it's funny how you always say, oh, I'm, I'm not like him or I'm not going to be like him. Yeah. Or, and then you realize, oh, my God, I'm exactly like my father. You know, the good, the bad and the ugly. <laughs> but uh, but no, you know, it's uh, I think that I'm still learning about what I, you know, have learned besides that. Maybe just resiliency. You know, I don't know why I've stuck at this for as long as I did, you know, and at times I feel like it, uh, I'm uh, I'm trapped by this, uh, uh, how should I call, uh, I don't want to call it ambition, that's the wrong word, but uh, infatuation, this, this desire to finish this film, to, to get justice. I think it was because of the betrayal, you know, I felt really hurt, so I wanted to, to do something that that meant something and I, and I feel like the story was important because it just showed a lot of errors in in uh, our society you know and uh, I just wanted to point that out I think um, as bad as it was for you guys I think this story is for all of us so you guys in a way went through it for somebody else as well and this is why you are here to tell it. Because a lot of the times where when we go through hard times, we don't see it. You don't see the value in it. And then until you tell your story, your testimony is also going to bless somebody else, open someone's eyes and the way they move and the way they interact with the police, maybe the FBI and how just reading your story. Because for me, reading your story, I have to look at the government differently because I didn't know this. Yeah. So we all have a lot to learn from this story. Yeah, it's scary, you know, and I hope it changes, you know. I hope no one experiences this uh, again. And But, you know, we got to hold these these uh, the police accountable, you know, yeah. when, when possible. And I think that's my dad's main message is um, because everyone asked him why did he have this... Uh, uh, like rabid desire to get revenge and but my dad always said that he never felt fear during this entire period and even there even though the kidnapper said do not file a police report my father said we must because we have lost control of our villages our towns our communities to these people because they have intimidated everybody into silence you know um, so his whole thing is that he was willing to die to get justice because he wanted to teach, or I mean, bring awareness to to the injustices that are happening, and and he wants to regain control of of his community. Is filmmaking part of your healing process, or is this just a passion or something that you love to do? Uh, it is for me. I will say that. Yeah, um, I think. Uh, I don't have any other outlets, and I think this is the only way that I can really um, express myself. And doing these interviews is practice too, because uh, uh, you might not be able to tell, but I'm an introvert. I'm very, I'm very shy, and I don't like to really say much uh, or be in front of the camera. But um, I think uh, all of this is, is practice, and, and I just want to like vent and, and get all of this out of my system because it's really uh, degraded my life in a lot of ways, you know. 
So, um, so I'm just in, trying to heal right now. And uh, if I can do it with this movie or through uh, better help or through uh, anything, I'm down, you know? Like I'm, I'm willing to put in the work right now. Got it. I'm an introvert too. So we, we, we share that. We, we share that, but this is a calling and um, it's a platform that we have to highlight all of our stories in any form that they come in. And this is one powerful story that you and your family experienced. And I'm so grateful that you're able to share with all of us. Yeah, well, thank you for listening. Appreciate you. No, no problem. Um, this comes out on Father's Day. What would you like to tell your father? Oh, wow, this is a perfect opportunity. <laughs> well, I love my father. Uh, he's he's uh, one of my heroes for sure. And uh, we, won't, we won't be there together, but hopefully that uh, I've done, made him proud by uh, being a spokesperson and telling this story for him. Got it. Um, how can people support you and how can we find you? Storiesbyelvis.com. You can find my social media on there and there's a trailer for the film and if uh and the gofundme page so please just check out the page um you don't have to donate no pressure but if you see anybody or if you know of anyone that would be interested in something like this uh please share it but uh thank you so much but storiesbyelvis.com got it and how can we follow if you have any social media handles uh at long live elvis forever number four vr forever nice i'll have everything <laughs> in the show notes so um yeah, and the links to everything i'll have the documentary also at the end of this the trailer of the documentary it's very powerful um i can't wait to see the whole movie i i want to follow the everything that you guys are doing i can't wait either it'll come soon i i really hope so so thank you so much. No, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your powerful story. Again, um, the healing journey is just starting. So just continue going. And I hope you and your family find peace uh, in any form that you find it. Thank you so much. Uh, now it's uh, time, time for bed. <laughs> I know right it's time for bed for me but um, thank you so so much that's it for this episode thank you again for lending us your ears it's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer you can continue to support us by liking sharing and following us on our social media pages the links are all in the show notes we have so many exciting projects adventures in store for you until next time keep dreaming Concrete pass.